was implicit in Buddhist psychology and unknown in Western psychology. And also the fact that you could transform the mind to the point where, for example, your inner emotional state was not at the whim of external conditions, but was an ongoing, say, equanimous state that was one of kindness. This was inconceivable. You're saying psychologists in the 1970s didn't even think about this kind of thing? I would say psychologies in the 2010s don't think about it very <laughs> really? much as a, as a whole, <laughs> although it's getting to be a more and more familiar huh. idea. Yes. Uh, so to pick up the story of your own journey, so you were a doctoral student, getting your PhD at That's Harvard. That's right. That's right. Then you, you discovered all the stuff about Buddhism. Well, what I discovered was an alternate psychological system. It's called Abhidharma which is the Sanskrit term for this model of mind. And I started writing about it in psychology journals, albeit very obscure psychology journals, because they were the only ones that were interested. I felt that it was important to bring this news to Western psychology because what it did was extend the horizon line of the potential of being human. You know, if psychology is about anything, it's about the mind and what are its upper limits, what are the worst places we can go, what are the best places we can go. And this describes some best places that we hadn't heard of yet. They, they weren't on the itinerary. Hmm. Now, you are probably best known for your book, Emotional Intelligence, which has gone on to sell millions of copies. How did you get interested in this subject? Well, I'm a clinical psychologist by training, and that's really someone who works with emotions all the time, although I did go into journalism. So I was covering what they called the decade of the brain in the mid-90s, and the National Institute of Health had given a lot of money to brain research, and very interesting findings were coming out, and I'm covering this. And in the Times, you can write, in those days, you could write an article up to 2,000 words. Now it's, I think, 800, <laughs> which is a story in itself, yeah. but another story. <laughs> I realized that there was a bigger story here and that I really wanted to write a book about the new science of emotion in the brain, that this was very new and exciting, had lots of implications for our everyday lives. And I happened to, since my job was basically to harvest academic writing, I would read technical journals and then translate them for everybody in the Times, I stumbled across an article that had the title Emotional Intelligence. And I thought, wow, that is a powerful concept. Sounds like an oxymoron, but <laughs> it means we can be intelligent about emotions. It's written by a guy, a friend of mine, Peter Salovey, who's now the president of Yale University. He was a psychologist at Yale and in his, I think, a graduate student, John Mayer. And I took that concept and used it as a frame for a book on emotions writ large. So what's the difference between emotional intelligence and the more classic way we, we talk about intelligence as measured by IQ? Well, IQ, which is, of course, extraordinarily important, is academic intelligence. It's verbal abilities, it's math abilities, it's spatial reasoning. It's the kind of smarts that helps you get through school and do very, very well. But it turns out that once you get into the workplace, that kind of intelligence predicts powerfully what job you can hold. You need an IQ of one standard deviation or so above average, 115 to 120, say, to be a professional, to be a doctor, to be a nurse, to be a teacher, uh, to be a top executive. But once you're in those roles, 
IQ isn't a powerful predictor anymore of who will be successful within that discipline or at the top ranks of a company. Turns out that how you handle yourself and how you handle your relationships is a more powerful predictor of who, for example, will emerge as a leader. And that defines emotional intelligence, how we manage ourselves, our self-awareness, our empathy, our ability to collaborate and negotiate and so on. So this is about being good with other people. Being good with other people is part of it. Being good with yourself is another part. Being able to get done what you have to do, to have fun, to be spontaneous, to be focused, all of that has to do with self-discipline, but that's part of emotional intelligence too. Now, you said that emotional intelligence is key to to good leadership. Is that widely acknowledged among, I don't know, corporations, the the business world, the academic world, that top leaders should have a high degree of emotional intelligence? It is more and more, and I'm rather surprised. When I wrote the book Emotional Intelligence, I had one...